Our sermon text for today says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. The word of the Lord. Let's pause for a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this opportunity to worship and to declare the truth that indeed you are all to us. And whether we recognize it here tonight or not, it is, a, it is true. I would imagine for many in here tonight, the testimony may be that you have not been even half to us, maybe not even 10% to us. Maybe we've gotten so distracted with a hundred other things that we even feel like we're lying a little bit when we sing those words. But we're not. It is true. You are always all to us, whether we recognize it or not, because you are faithful to the end. And so, Father, I ask now, as your word is expounded, that you would continue to work on our hearts, break down barriers, enliven us where we need to be enlivened, and show us again why it is so right for us to be grateful. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. And welcome again to Epiphany. In case uh, this is your first time visiting us, my name's Eric. I'm the pastor here. And uh, I get to talk to you every week from the Bible and hopefully teach you a little bit from the Word. Maybe, hopefully, something that you uh, didn't know. So I hope you, I hope you had a good week this week. We are going to talk, of course, tonight, being that it's Thanksgiving coming up this Thursday. We're going to talk a little bit about gratitude and about being thankful. Now, I don't know uh, if you would describe yourself with that word, grateful or thankful, but I can assure you that those around you could tell you whether you are or not. I'll just be honest with you. I'll be <laughs> real. When I really think about it, I don't think I'm a very grateful person. I don't think that I'm a very thankful person most of the time. I can find a hundred reasons to complain on any given day. I mean, so if my cup runs over, as my friend Matt Popovich said, uh, I think earlier today, he says, my problem is that when God gives me so much that my cup runs over, I start to complain about the size of my cup. And I can so relate to that. I can so relate to always finding something to be bothered about and ungrateful about and not something to be grateful about. So Joseph Stalin, reflecting this attitude to the max, said, gratitude is a sickness suffered by dogs. How about that, man? I mean, man, you talk about a pessimistic view of the world. Gratitude is a sickness suffered by dogs. And yet, here's what I'm going to tell you, as much as I struggle with it, as much as I would imagine that you do too, to some degree or another on any given day, if I was to nail down like one attribute that would accurately describe really like Christian living, if we want to phrase it in that uh, coinage, 
that is, I guess, the response to God's grace in Christ to us, uh, I would have to say it's meant to be gratitude. Uh, because gratitude is, if you think about it, always responsive. It's always recognizing one's place, not as God, but not as animal either. Gratitude sees that there is indeed someone in this universe to thank at the end of the day. It is the whole of the Christian life. It is the root of worship. So on the other hand, the great Roman politician and orator Cicero would say gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all the others. So why as Christians ought we be grateful? Well, I think, I think the passage that was just read by Kat really illustrates it well. The story of the ten lepers is a great illustration of gratitude, and I'm just going to walk us through that a little bit. If you have a phone and you want to swipe right and go to the passage to follow along, you can. Why are we grateful? Why should we be? Well, first of all, at least from this passage, we can see because Jesus initiates the relationship, because Jesus comes to us. So if you go back to verse 11, on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. Now of all the places that Jesus could have gone, this one makes no strategic sense at all. A backwoods, no-name village between Samaria and Galilee? Galilee looked at as one of the more backward places of all of Israel and Samaria, a place that Jews wouldn't even uh, associate with at all. On top of that, uh, the only people Jesus speaks to when he enters that town are in fact lepers. Lepers, those who are deemed to be the most unclean, those who carried around certain death with them wherever they went. No one got anywhere near a leper. No one talked to them. As a matter of fact, only in a leper colony would you find what you find here, which is Samaritans and Jews hanging out together. Because misery, after all, loves company. And ethnic divisions and political strife tend to fall apart when one is desperately lonely. Which was always the case for lepers. And so the natural response is, no, Jesus, Jesus, go to Rome. Like, if you really want to make an impact, you go to Rome. Go to the New York City of the day. That's where the corridors of power are. Or go to D.C. anyway, Jesus. Jesus, your time is limited. You're only here 33 years-ish. Show the rulers and authorities your stuff, your ability, and maybe they won't kill you after all, Jesus. And yet, when the Son of God visits earth, this is where he goes. Because when the Son of God came to earth, he came for one reason. He says it. He tells us. He came to save sinners. He came to wash the unclean. He came to seek and save the lost. As has been said over and over and over again from this music stand, not pulpit, 
The relationship between you and God always is initiated by him first and never us. And the reason that is because the Bible says naturally, according to Romans chapter 3, that we would not see God on our own. We never would. We run from him. According to Colossians 1, 21, we're like these lepers in their culture. We're alienated and hostile to the things of God naturally. And so if God were to wait for us to come around to him, well, it just wouldn't happen. The only way the relationships get started is by him coming to you. And that's what Jesus Christ does for us. The Holy One of Heaven, Philippians 2 says, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's where God's going. That's where I'm telling you, God is where he's moving, where he's working always in his world is among the lepers, the unclean, the sinners, the mess, the rabble. It's one of the reasons I have the sticker on my laptop, Jesus is for losers. It's true. He is. I have an old friend from California uh, named Dana. He might even be watching tonight. I don't know. He's in Montana now, but he started coming to the church about 15 years ago or so, maybe a little longer now, after getting out of jail. Made a mess of his life. Ended up hitting rock bottom. Feeling like life wasn't worth living anymore. He was laying face down in his cell, hopeless. And from somewhere else in the building, he heard an old hymn that he remembered hearing as a child in church. And to listen to my friend Dana tell it, when he was listening to the words of that hymn, I can't remember it now, it was as if light from heaven had suddenly flooded this dark jail cell. And at that moment he prayed, and felt the acceptance and embrace of his heavenly father. You see, the Lord had sought him not when he had cleaned himself up, not when he had gotten out and rehabilitated himself. He sought him when he was on his face enslaved. That's the character of God. And so so we're grateful, we're thankful because Jesus comes to where we are at. He comes today to the drug addict and to the promiscuous, to the thief and to the liar, to those who have messed up their lives and to those who think they haven't but still need to realize they're not as good as they thought they were. He comes to all, all people and says, I want you. So we're grateful. Secondly, we're grateful because he hears our cries for mercy. Look at verse 13. They lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, just you have to put yourself in the place of these lepers. How many times do you think these lepers had cried out for someone to help them in their lives? You see, the, the average person could in general take care of themselves, right? I mean, 
to some extent or another. They didn't need to be dependent on anyone. But these lepers were dependent on everyone. Literally, that's just the way it was. They got practice at being dependent. And when cries of dependence for mercy come towards Jesus, I promise you, based on the word of God, that he always hears those cries. Always. Hebrews 4.16 urges us, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. One of my favorite illustrations of crying out for mercy comes from a parable probably that you're familiar with, but maybe not. It's the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. I think I go back to it in my own life regularly. In the story, you have the Pharisee, he stands up looking all righteous, got the righteous clothes on, got like the religious hat, you know, the whole, the whole nine yards, all the stuff that makes you look righteous before others. And what does he do? He actually thanks God for all the righteousness that he's got. Like, I thank you that I'm not like this. I thank you that I've never done drugs. I thank you that I never smoked and never drank and never danced and never hung out with people that do. Uh, I, I thank you that, uh, that I really have lived a good life. And, uh, and then there's this tax collector who was seen as the worst of the worst, you know, in the society then. And, and for good reason, he was a jerk. I mean, he had extorted money from people and was not well-loved. And he stands far off and he says, crying out, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And not just a sinner, the sinner in Greek, the, the sinner. And Jesus looks at the two and says, oh man, the tax collector is the one, he gets it. That's the way. I hear, I hear that. I respond to that. So we have reason to be grateful because Jesus comes to us where we're at and he hears our cries for mercy. But the third reason from this text we have reason to be grateful is because he heals us. It would be a super bummer if Jesus just heard us uh, or just came to us, just heard us and then didn't do anything about it. But verse 14 says, when he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. It's interesting. Usually when Jesus would heal someone, he would touch them or speak to them. But in this case, he does something entirely different. He tells them to go do something. He doesn't promise healing explicitly, but implicitly it's there. He tells them he, tells them he wants them to go to the temple and see a priest. And why? What was the significance of that? Well, it's commanded in the law, specifically in the book of Leviticus, that when someone was healed from leprosy, that they go show themselves to the priest, and he in turn would pronounce them clean again. Jesus says, go and show yourselves to the priest as if they already are clean, even though they have not been yet. And when they do show themselves to the priest and they are declared clean, that would allow them to participate again in the regular daily functions of life in the community. So when Jesus sends them, they aren't healed, they aren't clean yet. But Jesus is saying, go as if you will be clean to present yourselves to the priest. Trust in my word of promise to heal you. Trust in my word that says you'll be clean and you will be clean. 
And that's exactly what the ten lepers do. They, they go off on their way to the priest to show themselves as clean already. Now this is what faith looks like. This is what your faith looks like. Faith takes hold of the word of Jesus. A declaration of cleanliness, even though on the outside it doesn't appear that way yet, and trusts that it's true. To some extent, you and I, in our whole Christian life, are called to do the same thing as these lepers. Here's what I mean. From our point of view right now, it appears that we are still marred with sins covering our lives, that we are being eaten away at. But through faith in the word of Jesus Christ, we find out that we indeed have been declared perfect and clean and righteous and forgiven and whole. From our point of view right now, it would appear that we're not that different from our neighbors. And yet we believe the word of Jesus that tells us we have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer we who live. From the outside, it looks as though our bodies are wasting away like everyone else's. We get sick, we get cancer, we die just like everyone else does. And yet the word of Jesus promises us that in our baptism we already have died and been raised with him, already seated with him in the heavenly realms. Do you see that our whole life is a life of believing in his promise even though we don't necessarily see it yet? That is what it means to live with faith. And so how can we not be grateful when Jesus makes us this promise that indeed we are clean, even if we don't feel it right now, we are declared that way by him. And finally, we're grateful because it's all free to us but it cost him everything. At the beginning of the text, there's a really, really important word. It's crucial. You wouldn't notice it, though. Really easy to overlook. And here's it is. Luke writes, speaking of Jesus, he says, On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Boom. It's okay if you didn't feel that way after reading that text. But it is a boom, and here's why. For the third time, since Luke chapter 9, verse 51, we see it noted once again that Jesus is on a journey. And he's on a journey specifically to one place. It says, on the way to Jerusalem. Why is that significant? Because hanging over every word, every action of Jesus' ministry is this location. And what is at that location? The cross. He is heading there purposely. Chapter 9, verse 51 of Luke says that he set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. So it is in the midst of him heading directly to a cross where he is going to suffer for the sins of the world, for your sins and my sins, that he stops to do this healing and to bring his word. But make no mistake, he is on his way. He's on a mission to die. He's on a mission to bleed. He's on a mission to suffer for these lepers and for you and I. 
Not a minute of it is accidental. No moment of Jesus' life is unplanned. There is never a moment where God the Father sits up in heaven and goes, Oh no, don't go that way. No, he knows exactly what he's doing. He's going to Jerusalem to suffer and die for the sins of the world. He is going there. So that he can become like one of these lepers. And they can become like him. Where is Jesus crucified? On the outside of the city. Just like the lepers were kept on the outside of the city. Jesus becomes the leper, becomes the outcast, becomes the addict, becomes, you name it, the sins of the world on the cross and is cast outside of the fellowship of the saints. So that he might bring us into the fellowship of the saints. So you would expect that all these lepers, once they see themselves clean, like at a certain point, like you can picture they're walking and it's like, you know, like they're noticing it's going away, that at some point as the healing comes, that all of them would come running back to Jesus and show their gratitude to him. But they do not. Only one comes back. And it's a Samaritan at that the most shocking thing to Jesus seems to be that not a whole lot are, are very grateful. The nine, the vast majority, 90% of the people, even though Jesus has indeed cleaned them up, are not grateful, are not thankful, do not return to him praise for what he's done. And let's just be honest, we, like these nine lepers, often do the same thing on any given day. We expect good things, and so when we receive them, we go on our merry way. But what does Jesus want from us? He wants one of us. He wants us, when we see we're healed, to turn back and praise him with a loud voice, just to acknowledge it. That when you're walking in your daily life and you take that bite of food that so often tastes amazing, like every time you buy a dollar slice, you are having the best pizza in the world. You realize that. And every bite of that, you should just be saying, Thank you, Jesus. Because it's so good. Every breath you take is another testament to his giving to you. He's constantly giving. And Jesus' main thing for us as, Christ, as, as people that follow him is just to say, just to stop every once in a while and to say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because I think when we realize that we're no better than these lepers and we have the same sentence naturally on all of us, but that Jesus has declared us clean, I think, I think, the more we ruminate on that, maybe on my best days I become a little bit more grateful and a little bit more thankful and a little bit more conscious that, man, my life is a gift, is a gift. <clears throat> Philip Yancey relates a story, I'll, I'll close with this of Dr. Paul Brand, a doctor who, uh, who only worked with leprosy patients. This is modern day, doctor only worked with leprosy patients. He told once of uh, 
really bright young guy. He was treating in India where leprosy is still quite a problem. And in the course of the examination, uh, Brand laid his hand on the patient's shoulder and informed him through a translator of the treatment that lay ahead. Wasn't thinking anything about it, just put his hand on his shoulder. And to his surprise, the man began to sob uncontrollably. And so Dr. Brand said, have I said something wrong? And the translator asked the person, and he said, no, he is crying because you put your hand on his shoulder. And until he came here, no one had touched him for many years. And that's what the Son of God has done for every single one of you. He touches the untouchable. He absorbs the sickness and the sin and makes us clean. So it's right, it's appropriate to be grateful. You bow with me for a word of prayer? Father, thank you. Thank you. For touching us in spite of our uncleanliness, in spite of our sin, in spite of our sickness, in spite of our rebellion, in spite of our foolishness, in spite of our self-righteousness, which I feel like is such a big deal right now, in spite of all those things, I thank you. You come to us, you touch us, and declare us clean. Whether we feel like it or not, it is a fact, forgiven, clean, whole, simply by the word of your promise and through the journey of your son, Jesus Christ, who went all the way to the cross in Jerusalem for us. We thank you for this in the name of Christ our Lord. We thank you that you continue to come to us tonight, Jesus. Here at the table, when we gather around, we hear the words that your body and your blood are here being given for us. Again, to remind us of the forgiveness of sins that has been won. Help us receive it with faith. And strengthen that faith, we ask in Jesus' name.